Hello, and you're very welcome along to another RTE Rugby podcast. As we turn towards the Heineken Champions Cup, the new season is upon us. We'll also look back on some big games in the URC last weekend. But we also have some huge uh, head coaching news in the world of rugby. The fallout from the Autumn Nation series is continuing. Eddie Jones is gone from England. Wayne Pivak is gone from Wales. And Warren Gatland is in. And we also have news as well. Ron Nogara is going to be staying in La Rochelle for another World Cup cycle. Uh, to talk through all of this, delighted to be joined by Bernard Jackman and Sean Cronin. Guys, thanks a million for joining. Good morning. No problem. Sean, you're into the you're in the retirement stage now. You're back in with Mary's though in the All Ireland League coaching and going all right. Another decent win at the weekend. You're you're sticking around with with Buccaneers. Eddie O'Sullivan's Buccaneers. We had Eddie on last week. They're they're not getting too far away from you. You're sticking around there. Um, yeah, no, Eddie wasn't crowing too much about the win um, <laughs> over us. Uh, but um, no, look, it's going all right. It's a very, um, very competitive league. Uh, 1B, any team really on their day could beat each other. So um, really enjoying it. Uh, really good bunch of lads in there. And um, final game this weekend of this uh, half of the season. So we'd like to finish well. And I suppose lads could enjoy their Christmas then and get going again in January. Yeah, well, very best of luck with it. Uh, it's been going all right so far. We'll get straight into it, guys, because there's a there's a lot to get through today. Um, we'll start on the coaching front, though. So I said quite a fallout from the Autumn Nation series. It's uh, I was going to say it's not often we would see this a year out from a World Cup. We just wouldn't see this this a year out from the World Cup, but it shows probably the the stakes that are on the line in the international game. Eddie Jones is gone from England. Wayne Pivak is gone from Wales, and Warren Gatland is in. We'll start on the Eddie Jones one, Birch. Um. First up, are you surprised? Look, I think pre-November internationals, I, I I would never bet that A. Jones would be gone because he seemed to have the full confidence of confidence of the RFU. He survived two reviews um, already, you know, um, and it's the fact that he's such a good World Cup record. I think everybody was hoping, um, or everyone was believing that he'd be there. But it, November went really bad for them um, in terms of how they played. Um, you know, losing to Argentina for the first time, uh, come back against New Zealand, but even at the end when they decided not to go for the win, mm. that seemed to piss off um some of the fans. You know, boos booing and tricking him, and then you know his from a me from a non rugby point of view, his PR advisor, you know, making a comment on a comment section of the Times about the RFU CEO Sweeney being a leak. Just and then there was lots of talk about uh, maybe bullying claims, staff wise, and people leaving, etc. It's just all all momentum turned on him. So um, yeah, I, I suppose from and and most worrying from an RFU point of view, ticket sales for Six Nations home games were slow. So that probably the financial aspect of it, you know, probably turned the tide against him. But I think he's going to go to a World Cup with somebody as a consultant, um, and. I think he'd add value there. You know, he is a very good coach, but he does seem to have got caught. Like he's talking about this attacking game where numbers on your shirts are irrelevant and they're trying to develop that. Um, I don't know if, if that's even necessary to, to get to that level. You know, I think England have enough good players to play. They can play their own way, but something slightly similar has been what's done before uh, rather than try and reinvent the game. And they got so far stuck trying to, chase what he wants to do that the performances were poor and it looked like there's no attacking philosophy at all so um yeah it, it just shows you though like 
you know, Wayne Pivak and 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 Eddie Jones probably thought they were going to the World Cup, and they just needed two really bad Novembers to to steal their face. Sean, it feels as, as this is probably it's probably more than a results decision. It feels like if Eddie Jones was was having, you know, if he if he had the exact same results as he had over the last few weeks, and the relationships were better with the RFU and the staff and possibly even the players, we don't really know that, but it feels like he might have survived it. But in the last 10 days or so, once the game's finished, there have just been so many leaks and rumours about the relationships with, as uh, as Birch was saying with Bill Sweeney, the, the CEO, that it kind of feels like this is as much a decision about off-field stuff as it is on the pitch. Yeah, and I suppose, look, Birch touched on a, a few uh, kind of big aspects there in terms of the financial implications you know, booing towards the back end of the of the, the autumn internationals, um, the turnover of staff. Um, like I like Eddie Jones for a few reasons, but then I not that I would say I can't stand him, but I find him utterly bizarre then in other areas where, yeah. like Bert said, the number on your back type game plan didn't really make sense to me. Um his turnover with the coaching staff over the last number of years, like is there a clear coaching philosophy pathway with the coaches you have in place that your players are working under because it seems like every time they come into a new camp there was a forwards coach gone a backs coach gone a strength and conditioning coach gone um which over time will build a sense of um i suppose indecision with what he wants to try and achieve with the players so um i think the biggest thing that probably led to his his downfall was his relationship with the RFU um, and this review process that took place um, where they supposedly don't know for certain touch base with uh, players who have been in and out of camp, not just the season guys who have been in there and been his lieutenants over the last number of seasons. So um, I'd say a combination of factors really have led to that. Now, I, I am surprised 10 months out from a World Cup um, with his, uh, I suppose, reputation of doing so well at World Cups, um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few months and who comes in. And um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just think for Sean's obviously going through his badges and things like that. But the Eddie Jones case study in terms of building relationships with the media. So his relationship with the media was gone toxic. They were after him for a while, um, and so and that's some of that's his own fault for being a smart ass and and being you know, quite rude to them in, in press conferences and, and um, in Penny Hill where they train. Uh, so the media, he didn't get that right. Then co- his comment was, I don't care what the fans think, you know, after a poor defeat in Twickenham isn't a smart move, you know, from a smart guy. Um, and then, as I said, you know, being able to manage up, being able to manage to the RFU committee. He obviously, I think he's a bit shocked from what I, uh, the Telegraph, a good piece on it today, the last 48 hours of Eddie Jones, but, I think he's always been able to convince him in those reviews that he has the the Midas touch, um, and he's very data driven. But obviously that 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 wears out. And you think back to 2019 when they got to World Cup final, his support staff, you know, Scott Weismantle, top class coach now with Australia, Steve Bortwick probably going to succeed, um, Eddie John Mitchell uh, was there as well. You look at his his coaching staff now, you know, okay, the Cockerell is a, is obviously experienced, um. Proudfoot, there's big doubts about his ability, even though he won a uh, a World Cup with with South Africa. But I mean, the cattle they have there, 
Um, I think it was the cattle rather than the coaching um, for, for in terms of that scrum dominance. And then the other lads are all kind of rugby league guys um, who seem to just float in and out. So um, Eddie probably overvalued his own coaching ability and his own knowledge, which is phenomenal. Um, and the quality of his, of his assistance has got worse, as, as, uh, as Sean has said. And Burson, like one of the big arguments against sacking Eddie that I've seen over the last couple of days is obviously just pointing at his World Cup record where he's, you know, he's been there and done it with Australia, South Africa, Japan, England, not necessarily winning it, but at the very least making big runs or surprising runs through the tournament. But at the same time, though, if you're a if you're a team like England who have the, you know, more the greater resources than anyone in the world, like up there with the biggest playing populations. Surely a, a team like England should be able to compete at a World Cup without sacrificing the four years in between. I could understand the argument if you are a smaller nation, maybe someone like Wales, who don't have the resources and have overachieved maybe at World Cups down the years. But if you're England, surely surely you can surely you can have your cake and eat it in that in that circumstance. Yeah, look, I don't think, I think Eddie Jones, uh, um, his shelf life is probably max four years. Um, I, I went, to, I visited Japan um, after the 2015 World Cup um, and Jamie Joseph came in and obviously Jamie Joseph understood that the Japanese side Kevin played there and played for them actually and, and Tony Brown and and the, the feeling was, and the players apparently told the, J, the Japanese rugby union that if Eddie stayed, on after the World Cup, even though they, they were obviously beat South Africa in, in Brighton, and it was a it was a, it was a good World Cup for them, historic World Cup in some ways, that a lot of them are going to retire, um, and the Jap- because of the intensity of camp, the uh, the way he trained them, the way he coached them, um, I think he's brilliant at getting a bounce out of out of teams, um, but I think there's a shelf life there, you know what I mean, and and maybe a little bit of a, a similarity to, to the Joe Schmidt era in Ireland where. It was just you know one one block too long or one year too long for from an Irish point of view, um, and he's just so intense. I mean, the, you know, the stories about him, you know, sending emails to staff at three o'clock in the morning, wanting a, re- a response by six. You know, he, he like he is a, a very unique character, and maybe for players' point of view, he's just blown their head. And, and the RFU absolutely should be competing every year. You know what I mean? There's no there's no reason to hide stuff like this idea that okay, he might have been changing their attack. Um, but he certainly weren't hiding stuff. He would have known going into November, like there was a couple of games he needed to to perform in, and um, you know I don't think that that's believable that you're just playing these test matches for the sake of playing them to have a secret plan come out in in, in France. Uh, I just think he, yeah, he wasn't able to get the reaction out of players that he had been in the past, and um, and once that finishes, you're you're dead. And Sean, then moving to Wales, Wayne Pivac. Got the got the bullet the day before Eddie did. Warren Gatland is coming back in. This one probably wasn't as wasn't as surprising as Eddie Jones, and it probably seems that this is very much just a, a straight rugby results decision. Yeah, look, I had written on my notes here, uh, not as a big as of a surprise as yeah. Eddie Jones, because uh, bottom line, you cannot lose at home to Georgia and Italy um, in 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 Autumn Nations. Uh, campaign um again similar some some similarities to uh eddie jones where he was quoted saying you know building ahead for the 2027 world cup like and even tying in with eddie again 
Um, I, I heard Keith Wood on the radio was either this morning or yesterday talking about he spoke to Philip Brown about the importance of the Six Nations where these two coaches seem to see that as a building block towards a World Cup, whereas it's the bread and butter of the unions. And from my own point of view, like massive historical and cultural uh, significance goes with the Six Nations. I, you know, coaches, I just find it bizarre that they use it as, uh, you know, semi-warm-up kind of series to get ready for a World Cup. So, um, again, look, I think Wales are probably reaping the Welsh region kind of falling down system in the last four, five, six years where, you know, players aren't really coming through. They had a golden generation where it just hasn't been built on really. So, um, yeah, Pivak, not as surprising to see him him go. Um, and return of the King, Warren comes back in. Um, so that'll be a very juicy uh, first up game in the Six Nations where Ireland travel to Wales for the opening game. Yeah, certainly will. And Birch, like probably maybe the only surprise in this is possibly Warren Gatlin because I think there was talk last week that he was being eyed up as as Eddie's successor at England in the in the short term to bring him to a World Cup. But you do expect there to be a bounce with Gatlin coming back into Wales, but at the same time, it's a big gamble from his point of view because that is that's not as good a squad of players as as he had in twenty nineteen. Yeah, look, the rumour is that he, he he stalled Wales to see if England were going to come for him. I mean, the England job's a far better job than yeah. the Welsh job. <laughs> One, it's probably double the salary, maybe triple. Um, <laughs> two, you've got... Like, look, at England are going to bounce. England are are way better yeah. than they are at the moment. Whereas, are Wales way better? Yeah, sure. Under Catlin's, it's hard to see them lose to Italy or Georgia at home, to be honest. Um, so, I don't... I think there will be a, a, an improvement. But certainly... I do think it's a gamble for Gatlin because that golden generation, you know, that he built a team around are either finishing or under their last legs, you know, uh, well, that's harsh. Palatow is still, is still playing, you know, uh, incredibly well. Um, but they really like, this is the world cup. This is the end. Like I, a lot of them, you felt the last world cup was their kind of peak time. And uh, plus he's going back in there without Edwards, without McBride, without Howley, who were key to Gatlin. I mean, Gatlin, doesn't do a huge amount of coaching. Um, he's very, you know, he's very much top of the, um, of the building type guy, and and that's really important as well. Uh, but he's going to have to take on obviously. In fairness, at least he knows, you know, Stephen Jones getting Jenkins. He's coached them, so that's a help. Um, but yeah, it is a, it is a bit of a gamble for for Gatlin. But I think he look at he went back to the Chiefs. It didn't really go as well as he would have liked. He's not a, you know, a front runner for the All Blacks job. Um, he gets to come back to Wales and, and go back to another World Cup and um, and if he can obviously do something with them he'll he'll take the Six Nations seriously for sure um, but yeah I, I think it's a tough gig I don't see the squad the depth there that was in the past you know and they did a deal that apparently it's signed so the, the WRU and the Four Regions did a deal this week it has to be signed off on but mm-hmm. agreed in principle funding because you're starting to see you know Will Rowlands is signed for Racing Players were starting to leave because they had no contract offers. Um, but the 60 cap rule may end up getting scrapped. And that could be a good thing for Wales because their best players go get paid somewhere else. Um, and, you know, they, they can then hopefully develop some, some new talents. But it's, um, it's, not, it's not a straightforward gig. I mean, I can see why Gatland was waiting to see what was going to happen with England if he was going to get the job there first. Yeah, and like it is a risk, Sean, because like his... His reputation at the moment in Wales is, you know, he is 
he is God. He, he is a legend with what he's done for those 10 years or so when he was previously there. But if things go things go badly wrong here over the next year or so, that's it's a big hit to a legacy, isn't it? Um, yeah, it will be. But I think he has enough credit in the bank with the union, with the public. Um, and uh, like, look, like Bert said, they still have quality players, maybe one to 15, but it's outside that where they need to try and, you know, develop some players pretty quickly leading into the Six Nations and then into the summer and then into the World Cup. But um, it is a big risk because he's not coming back in to where this, that golden generation are all in their mid to late 20s. Um, uh, so it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be tough. It'll be tough for him. But again, he seems to get the best out of the players that he can, especially when he was working in Wales. So, but it would be a big concern, like Bert said, about, uh, you know, no Robin McBride, no Sean Edwards, which is huge. You know, these types of guys were driving the culture, the, 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 the standard of play um, that got them such success over those years. So it'll be very interesting. Number one, does he keep those, like Bert says, Stephen Jones and getting Jenkins on? Um, uh, so, yeah, look, it's a big risk, but he seems to get the best out of those players. Just last one on Wales, Birch, on, on Wayne Pivak himself. Like, obviously, he's someone who had great success at the Scarlets and won a Pro 12 with them and played some wonderful rugby. Did did he find himself just in the in the wrong gig at the wrong time with Wales? Like, do, do you see him coming back onto our radars in the in the not-so-distant future with a different team? Yeah, look, look I think... Um... I think he's a good coach. I, I do think it was a poison chalice um, coming in. Obviously, like let's forget they got to a World Cup semi final, um, and there was very little underneath that. Um, they haven't had a good under twenties team for for a while. Also, there's the parochial um, issue in, in Welsh rugby. So when he got the job, the other three regions players felt he's going to be biased towards the Scarlets players. You know, so Wales historically have have had issues when when a coach has come from in, internally. Um, so he had that. He, then he obviously wanted to bring the Scarlets way to to Welsh rugby, um, and it takes a while to get international teams. Ireland have obviously got to that level now where they they, they can play a, an attractive brand. But it was bringing Wales from from a very defence orientated kick kick chase game into the Scarlets type game, which didn't really work um, at the start. There was team problems with that, high turnover players, and then he went kind of to a kicking game um, so he, he lost his he went away from his philosophy mm. um, to try and save his job which look, it's understandable you know but I just think politically he came in there at a time when the WRU the WRU are shambles uh, um, as an organisation probably the worst organisation I've ever seen uh, close up you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that uh, I, I've seen him said in meetings so I, and, I, and Gatlin in fairness to him tried to get involved in the Welsh politics for the first few years and then he realized that they wouldn't do anything he wanted anyway. So he pulled away and became, he just saw, like, he, he became like a, a consultant coach in terms of the international coaching group at this part of the building in, in the Vale. And, you know, they saw themselves as their own entity. And Wayne, in fairness, didn't have the, the probably credibility to, to do that. He had to get involved in the politics. And once you get involved in the politics, you know, you're, you're, you're screwed because there's not enough clarity of vision there's not enough um uh, people in there who understand high performance so he got dragged into all the political infighting between the, the amateur clubs the regions the the union 
and then he was dead. He, he was dead. It's just when he when he got chopped. So I think he will be a good coach. And look, there's going to be loads of coaching good jobs available. And what he did with the Scarlets and his experience now in international rugby will be enough for him, I think, to to get a decent job somewhere. It is interesting. And on Ron O'Gara, for example, signing the new contract at La Rochelle, bringing him up to, to 2027, like 2027 being the specific number end of the next World Cup cycle. Like it is interesting, Sean, that the the club game now for a while is has started to follow on with the World Cup cycles and everyone is kind of working, working along that same path, isn't it? Yeah, it's the buzz phrase at the moment, World Cup cycle. Um, yeah, I, I suppose, look, Roger's name was highly touted in the that discussion for the English job. He kind of mentioned it himself as well in, in a few uh, press interviews. So, but, um, uh, you know, not not too surprised he stayed on there. He's an incredible squad, uh, backroom coaching team, uh, West Coast of France, uh, or Champions Cup winners. So um, he seems pretty settled there. Uh, so, um, yeah, but look, coming off the back of that, it's a long, long, long way away, uh, 2027. So, look, he, he seems he's doing incredibly well, seems well settled. So, it will be, uh, I suppose, a discussion maybe in 2025, 26 to see when those rumour mills start up again in terms of where he might end up. Yeah, and Birch, obviously, like, he's a young man at the at the same time. He isn't in coaching particularly long. He can... He can sit back and and tip along and do some good things at the at the club. He doesn't need to be in a rush to get into into Test rugby, really, does he? No, he doesn't. Um, I, I, look, I would be shocked if there wasn't a clause in there, for, yeah. for an international team or a buyout a buyout fee written in. Um, uh, but it, what it's a it's a real sign of. Sorry, it fits lovely with what La Rochelle have, have done. Um, they've had the same president for I think twenty three years. Um, I think they've only had four or five head coaches over that period you know it's a club that put a lot of value on on cohesion and and uh sticking with the right people and you know they've been very good to roger roger's been very good for them and it just gives them security now you know look at if, if it's not england that someone else is going to be coming after him yeah uh, you know if, if 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 any club or country needs a coach he'd be on a shortlist at the moment um and now it'll hopefully get him off those shortlists and um, you know, from a La Rochelle point of view, they can start to plan retention recruitment um, again over the next couple of years. But I, I would be shocked if he doesn't have a way out if he if if he wants. You know, if the dream job comes along. But um, it's uh, yeah, look, getting guys like Ogara who can bring success to a club. Um, it's such a, a minefield. Uh, it's very smart by La Rochelle, and and, and I'd say it was well negotiated by Ronan or his agent as well. <laughs> uh, last bit on the. Last bit on coaching, because it's rare we'd be dominated so much by this kind of coaching news. Uh, a few rumours from Australia this morning, Birch, that um, Leinster are, are keeping tabs on Scott Robertson, trying to trying to chat to him about uh, coming in after, uh, not me, sorry, Stuart Lancaster during the summer. Uh, have you heard anything on that? No, I, I would be shocked, to be honest, because Leo, my understanding is Leo will stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think Robertson... Um, I don't know. Like he's he's probably if unless the World Cup goes brilliantly for the All Blacks, I'd say he could be the next All Black coach. Which is yeah. you know he's gone for it last time. He's on the record. Um, I don't know if he'd come to uh, Europe for the Leinster job is a phenomenal job. You know, uh, it's one of the most attractive, probably the most attractive club job in Europe. But 
Um, I, w- I would say international rugby is, is where he'll end up next, to be honest. We'll go on to the Champions Cup now. So in terms of the format, we're still on this two large pools of, of 12 splintered off into the little kind of mini fixture pods uh, of home and away. South Africans in the mix now too as well, which kind of makes it interesting. But but Sean, in terms of the the, the general favourites for the tournament, are we still just looking at the, the usuals of, of Leinster, Rassing, Toulouse, probably La Rochelle and a couple of the big England hitters as well? Um, yeah, probably it's, you, you wouldn't be able to look too far outside of those four or five teams. Um, French teams are still going to be incredibly strong. Um, Racing and Leinster, two heavy hitters going up against it this weekend. Munster, Toulouse. Um, yeah, look, the format is still a bit higgledy-piggledy, in my view. I wish it would potentially go back to the old format. Uh, but, um, yeah, you're probably not going to be looking too far outside of those. Uh, I saw an interesting... Uh, with the launch of the Heineken Cup, or should keep calling it Heineken Cup, apologies, Champions Cup a couple of weeks ago, where they were asking, or whoever the reps were from each team, who they thought were going to win, and they couldn't say their own club. So, and a lot of them were coming up with Leinster. I don't know whether that's uh, trying to lure them into a false sense of overconfidence, but um, yeah, look, you still have those four or five big heavy hitters that'll be there, thereabouts, come the business end of it. Yeah, I think ultimately, if someone's asking you to pick a winner and you say Leinster, and even if you're wrong, you're not going to be wrong by much. Ultimately, like I mean, it's a fairly, it's a fairly safe guess. But um, Sean, just in terms of the the near misses over the last few years, so losing the final last year, uh, semi final year before, and final in 2019 as well. Like how much of how much have they hurt inside in the squad over the last few years? Yeah, look, it's been, uh, I suppose, it's, it's the amount of trying to recover from the loss leading into the next year and you're driving everything again and you're building back towards trying to get back to a final and get the job done and it just didn't happen. I think last year was a a real killer for that group because um, we just had felt that over the last two or three years with the loss in the final 2019, the semi, that getting back then again to the final was... Um, it was just, it was going to happen, but um, look, there's some really really good leaders and 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 characters in that squad that managed to, I suppose, uh, regroup everybody year on year. You know, I think Johnny, Gary Ringrose, Robbie Henshaw, uh, James Ryan, um, these type of guys managed to get the squad back focused to have another serious crack year on year. So, um, but the hunger's there; they want to get back, especially with. I suppose Stuart moving on this year, Leo, I don't know what his story is. So, um, and the talent is there again, which is a great thing. So it's not um, as if we're losing players, it's a strong squad again to make a serious crack at it. And Birch, then Leinster and Rassing to to kick us off on the opening weekend. I mean, that's as, that's as good a fixture you could be hoping for, even though it's an early game on, on Saturday afternoon. I've never really been a fan of those, those early Saturday afternoon ones, but it's an absolute blockbuster. And we have the, the nice little Stuart Lancaster subplot running along with it as well. Yeah, big game. Both teams in, in great form. Obviously, Leinster unbeaten in the in the URC and coming on the back of their most impressive performance you know, for a long time, coming back um, against Ulster with a man down. Rassing too. Rassing sent uh, a second string to Toulon um, and everyone expected it to be a formality. Toulon will win and, and Rassing got the win. There seems to be a real... 
um, a real good team ethos, team spirit there at the moment, and and it looks like they like Leinster want to send their their coaching uh, team out on a high, and they they've been good in Europe. You know, they, they probably should have had one um, trophy already, um, and they have the the squad to. Um, to, to do things there uh, obviously the Stewart side Stewart obviously going there next year makes it interesting as well but Laharv is a big advantage in fact the game's not in the stadium um, where Racing usually play big uh, advantage for Leinster do you mean the arena yeah it's a big advantage for Leinster yeah um, there won't be a huge crowd there it's a lovely stadium soccer stadium we, we played there with Grenoble against Stade Francais when they moved the game but um, I, I think Leinster uh, it's a different type of game the way Leinster played in the top 14 and um, I think Leinster will will be good enough to to get a win away from home and, and but obviously only four four matches it's, it's important you, you start fast you know? How much of the how much of that belief in Leinster this weekend comes down to whether or not Johnny Sexton and Tyke Furlong are fit to play or or even if both are out would you still give Leinster a really really strong chance? Uh, I don't. I don't think Johnny will be back. But uh, while Ross is a very capable um, understudy, uh, I think it'd be key. It'd be pretty important. Ty comes back, even though obviously um, Leinster have good depth there. But uh, yeah, I, I think Ross Ross has turned a corner again. A little bit of a dip last year at the end of the year, but um, like you want a player like him, you know, in those big games who has that character. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a tough ask. It'd be interesting if they pick Finn Russell. Um, they've been very good without them the last last few weeks. They're five in a row um, in terms of wins. So um, it's just yeah, it's it's great opportunity for Leinster, to see Leinster against a team who have a lot of X factor and a lot of power. Um, and we're seeing a little bit more in the in the URC, obviously the Sharks game, but this is a different different kettle of fish. And the the comeback win, Sean, at the at the weekend against Ulster, even before it, they were obviously in an excellent position in the URC, but. To still have that one hundred percent record and have a nice little nine point lead at the the top of the URC, it's it's given them scope now to go absolutely hell for leather across these next two games. Yeah, look, I think obviously with losing Keane Healy early to that uh, red card at the weekend and the level of performance, um, especially post half time, was uh, some of the best stuff I've seen Leinster play in, in a number of years. Gary Ring, Ringrose was outstanding. Um, so again. That will breed a lot of confidence heading into this weekend. I, in terms of this Racing and Leinster game, it would be very interesting to see, and Birch mentioned it about the styles of play. I kind of revert back to, we'll say, Leinster and Toulouse last year, where Leinster just tore them apart with the speed of play, front football, uh, different lines of running. Um, and I think Racing are probably a bit more better suited to cope with that than a Toulouse. So um, I think it's going to be an outstanding game. Um I like I like Lauren Travers, the, the the racing coach. They have a squad packed full of of really dynamic players. So and going back to your point about you know Ross Byrne, uh, I think he has you know he's back in form again this season. I was delighted to see him come on and kick that penalty for Ireland. Um, so uh, yeah, look, uh, Tyg Furlong will be will be a big loss. Um, we'd have a bit of depth there, but again, you want your strongest uh, pack slash. Uh, sub forwards to be able to compete with a, a power based team like Racing. On moving on then to Sunday, Munster and Toulouse, like you mentioned, Toulouse there, Sean, about how they obviously got hockey by Leinster in the semi final, just with the, the speed at which Leinster were moving them around the pitch. But, but on this game in particular, like just on Munster, 
got things back on track over over the last few weeks and it's it's starting to feel like they're kind of moving back towards a to be a more consistent team and just getting those performances together on a weekly basis. Yeah, no, it has been huge and, and like the manner of their win in, in Edinburgh. Look, Munster don't have many jokers left to play in the URC. They need to start accumulating points and that Edinburgh fixture looked like um, a difficult one um, on paper. Obviously, it started poorly, but then it was just one-way traffic and they made Edinburgh look like, you know, a, a very average side at the end, which to be fair, they're, they're not really, you know, they're yeah. they're decent, you know, top middle of the table URC team. And they were close to, Edinburgh were close to full strength as well. Yeah, they were. They were. Uh, there's still a question mark around their their men- mental um, yeah, ability to stay in games. And I think that that's, that's that would be the frustrating thing for my player, the way they fell away. It's a little bit like Ulster going up the road after the RDS. You know, you, you know you have a team who could play, but do they have... Um, the capacity to to stay in the fight when things get tough, and Edinburgh didn't. But credit to Munster, they they play real variety. Um, the Mike Prendergast attack um is starting to to click. Um, there's a lot of movement off the ball. Um, there's a lot of work off the wings from from both wingers to create uh, overloads. Um, Frisch is able to step up as a as a first receiver, which gives him a two. And yeah, they're just their lines of running are better, and they're asking questions of defenders, and and um, which to be honest, over the last couple of years, they weren't really great at. Um, they were quite one dimensional, so it's positive. But I mean, there's a big difference between Edinburgh and Toulouse, you know. Um, so this is another test. I'm I hope I'm down there for on Sunday. Um, I hope it's just one of those brilliant Champions Cup days that Munster have have played a huge role in. You know, I uh, hope we get a big crowd, big atmosphere, and um, yeah, we see a, we witness a great game. And obviously, the the stakes are obviously massive then as well, Sean, with just the fact that it's Toulouse in the Champions Cup. But even uh, normally, just the way the fixtures fall, normally Munster would love a you know a, a home their big home game to be the last one where they can build into it. Whereas having to go to Toulouse. In round four, you absolutely don't want to be having to go to France needing to pick up a result. So it put, it puts even more of an emphasis on winning this weekend just to get up and get up on the board and, and up and running nice and early. Yeah, look, and I, I suppose the way that the, the tournament is set up as well, minimum you need to be winning your, your matches at home. So um, I suppose just touching on a few of the points Birch made, you know, definitely can see. Monster's new game plan taking shape and I suppose that's tying in as well to kind of consistency around selection which they didn't really have at the start of the year for I suppose the Emerging Ireland tour injuries and, and so on so um, what I'm what I'm liking as well is that they're building phases you got players running onto the ball in motion you got guys taking their time and off 10 when they go out the back it's all looks a lot more fluid at the moment so um, now I, I have written down like, they need to start better they won't get away with that type of start they had against Edinburgh at the weekend. Um, Toulouse are just too good, too much quality. Dupont is back. Um, he got released from that suspension early. Marchand, Bay, Cross, Elstad, Jaminet, Jalanche, Entomac. You know, they have quality, quality players across the their team. So um, they will need to start well. Um, look after the rock. Toulouse will go quite hard at the rock. Um was looking to try and implement that game plan, like Bert said, by overloading, bringing wingers off their wing, centres working hard uh, to create that extra man and try and take their chances. And look, even just 
if it's anything like the the last two meetings between the two sides, like we're we're surely in for a decent game. Obviously the 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 quarterfinal last year that went to the penalty kicks, but even also their their last sixteen meeting the year before in Thoman Park, like that was an absolute belter as well. They're two sides who obviously bring out the best in each other. Yeah, look, there, and it's such it's it's such a a great fixture on paper, such pedigree with both clubs and. To lose, I think you know, Berkshire probably attest to this that they um they buy into the Heineken Cup every single year. It means so much to them. So um, massive history behind the fixture. Uh, you know, I presume Tone Park is going to be is going to be full, big atmosphere. Um, and like I said, Munster will look and need to get off to a good start in this competition by trying to get a win at home. Last call on on this game, Berkshire, just on Dupont. Sean mentioned it there that he got off early from the from the suspension. What are your what are your thoughts on that? That that tackle on Chesil and Kobe being reduced from mid range kind of entry point to the to the low range, and that's why he yeah, had a- I think he was lucky to be honest. I think it was a pretty um, pretty dangerous collision in the air, and um, uh, look, there's a lot of frustration amongst players and coaches around consistency of um, of action, even the. You know, I, I don't think I think that shouldn't that shouldn't be low range. He should still be banned. Um, if your name isn't if your name isn't Antoine Dupont, is that well, mid range or low range? That's certainly the feeling, but um, <laughs> it is very difficult to know where like how you're going to do in those um, uh, in those hearings. You know what I mean? Um, and even like there's another like the, the incident the weekend with James Lowe against Cooney. You know, I'd love, I'd love World Rugby. I'd love for kind of controversial incidents, which we're not clear upon, um, for World Rugby maybe to do a wrap every month and just, you know, actually give a definition of what's legal, illegal, um, or and and from the Dupont point of view, just some consistency in, in those because I've seen those suspensions held uh, upheld. Have you been in many of those hearings before, Sean? Disciplinary hearing, yeah. No, no, but I was I was trying to go through my head. Do I remember any big Sean Cronin red cards? I made a, I made a high tackle against uh, Jack Noel in, in Exeter uh, four or five years ago, which probably would be a red now. I got sinbind. Um, so yeah, look, Dupont's one was 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 beyond reckless. I thought I'm very surprised he's after getting, um, like the that player could have broken his neck, you know, easily. So, uh. James Lowe one, like you touched on there, Birch, um, you know, very tight, you know, is his yeah. arm tucked against his chest? Is he pushing out on the contact? Um, but like you said, yeah, a very, very good point about trying to get clarity from World Rugby on feedback on potential decisions that are made in game would be another way of not only educating the public or the, the rugby public, but I suppose trying to teach players going forward. Yeah, so just on James Lowe, I'm not saying that he, like, he should be banned or that. I no, no, I know. I know there's a natural instinct when you protect yourself when you carry, but I would love to know what World Rugby feel from a refereeing point of view about when that leads to obviously you know head contact with your with your forearm. Like I said, I I don't know, and I, and I was co-com on it. Um, I didn't know whether it should be red or not. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. that's kind of and the game is so difficult to referee. Like we're seeing like things we've never seen before or don't see very often start to happen because the game is so fast. Ball and play time is is so high there's a lot of pressure on referees and, and i think from an overall like rugby fans experience point of view just to kind of uh, to, to get some clarity and then everyone could just follow that you know yeah and just to 
last couple of points before we finish up. So obviously you mentioned John Cooney. He looks like he's almost certainly going to be out for, for Ulster this weekend. It would be hard to see him playing after the that collision he had uh, with James Lowe. But also Ian Henderson had to have a HIA during that game. Tom Stewart as well. Like they're they're counting up the cost of that defeat to to Leinster, even aside from the I suppose the the emotional toil of losing the game. Me? Yeah, sorry. Uh, oh, let's take that one. Sorry, I didn't, uh, I didn't throw a name in there. Your grand count is up. <laughs> I, um, yeah, look, a combination of both injuries and I suppose having to move on quickly from the hurt of, of that defeat uh, at the RDS. Um, and then you're putting into the mix there a very, very physical sale team. Um, you know, John O'Ross, the Curry brothers, Tuolagi, Ustazen, uh, Johnny Hill, like they have an outstanding squad of players, both in the forward pack and, and backline that are not only physical, powerful. So, you know, that injury toll as well will have a big, I suppose, say on the level of um, performance that they can bring to that game away from home as well. It's got to be tough for Ulster. Um, but um, it's, uh, you know, again, trying to, trying to move on from the hurt of that loss as well from from the RDS and get the minds focused of having a, another really, really good campaign in, in Europe. Yeah. And Birch, like just the, like, just given the fact that it's falling straight after that game against Leinster, like if they were to go out and, and have that hangover, which, which we saw them have last year after, after yeah. big defeats, if they were to follow up and have it again this year, you're in the middle of a really, really difficult run of games like La Rochelle coming Connick before Christmas, more derbies after that as well. They have to play Munster. Like they're in the middle of a very tough run of fixtures. So you can't be getting down on yourself too early in them. No, and look, it is great to have the European Cup to, to bounce to bounce back to get it out of your system. But I think that defeat is is gonna be it could be more significant than a normal run of the mill. You know, you, you lose away from home in the URC. I think mentally Leinster may have scarred them, uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they how they bounce back if they do. You know what I mean? And I thought, you know, obviously if Cooney's out, uh, Billy Burns, uh, he has to take some some blame for the lack of control they showed. You know what I mean? With the wind, with a man advantage, Leinster were getting dominance at the breakdown. Porter obviously um, was a bet was a huge. Uh, benefactor of, of that, um, but they were playing in the wrong area of the field when they just needed to to, to play some territory. And he, in fairness to him, he, he seemed to have picked up a knock early. So if he's out, Madigan is out. You know, the Jake Flannery um, is up there, and he's a young player, but it's a lot of pressure. And Sale, people are screaming about Steve Bortwick, and, and obviously he's done a great job. But Sanderson is someone who would be in the um, in the pot for that England job uh, as well, and he's done a great job in Sale with. Um, what's you know what he took over from uh from Steve Diamond. Um I played with him there. He's he's a good fella and he's he's obviously come from through the Saracens way. So this is this is a tough game for, for Ulster. But more importantly, not tactics, it's actually you know bouncing back and, and, and showing that um resilience that Dan will be very worried about. You know, I think this is Dan's put a lot of work into this team. And uh you know if they lose this weekend give them what they have to face um later in this competition uh it could be curtains yeah it really is a big one very quickly at the end connacht and newcastle's challenge cup unfortunately for connacht this season rather than rather than champions cup and Sean, it looks like they're probably not going 
all out to win it. They've, you know, I, I think it was Colly Tucker yesterday was talking about how they'll be resting a lot of the the Ireland internationals using this as one of the games. Like you've obviously had Challenge Cup runs with with Connacht down the years as well. Uh, like, do, do you think? Do you think this is the ideal opportunity for them to to target a trophy, or like it, there's obviously a real difficult balance to be had there, isn't there? Yeah, well, I suppose when I back in my time we had serious runs at the Challenge Cup because we were at the other end of the table, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> in the league. But I think going back to where Connacht had an unbelievably tough opening to the season, um, they've got a lot of that, you know, on, on, under their belt. They've had some really good results recently, and the fixture list isn't as tough. You know, leading into Christmas and then post Christmas, yeah. so I'd say they're more targeting the URC, trying to build a bit of stability there, try and build on results, and maybe look to, I suppose, expose some um, younger guys, some less experienced guys with this level of rugby in the Challenge Cup. Um, you know, reading into what uh, Cully Tucker has kind of alluded to in terms of their approach, that's probably the focus for them. Uh, build on the URC, get some guys some game time in the in the Challenge Cup, and. Um, that's where they probably see the more uh, benefit route of going down. First, would you agree? Do you think they have just about enough of a, a sniff of of kind of URC playoffs that it's worth sticking with? Yeah, I don't think the Challenge Cup is 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 a, is winnable um, for for Connacht. I think once it gets to the knockout stages, you're going to run into some some big teams, um, and I think they should just target one competition, and that's the URC to get themselves back into the Champions Cup if they can. So. Um, I I think that's a smart strategy. All right, we'll wrap it up there. So, Bert, you're uh you're at Thomond Park on on Sunday, yeah? Yeah, looking forward to it. Or to back with Champions Cup. So, hopefully, we get a, a great game and a big crowd. Yeah, we're all looking forward to that. Or two on Sunday afternoon, Munster. And you, sorry, if anyone wants to see some serious rugby, they can come down to Templeville Road at half two on Saturday to see St Mary's against Highfield. You know, so just uh, put that out there. I, I will allow I will allow you say that even though even though I'm a Terran your man I I will just oh imagine. my god that's even worse <laughs> but uh, no very best to look at that and just a reminder as well so as Bursch said Sunday afternoon look we're clearing up we're, we're putting it on we're putting, we're doing the monster match on Sunday so people have a chance to go watch right. the series on Saturday afternoon uh, but we also have commentary in RT Radio One of Monster and Toulouse and commentary as well of Ulster and the Sale Sharks on Sunday as well. But uh, Sean, Birch, thanks a million for joining us. Enjoy the games of the weekend and uh, we'll speak to you soon.